today on the Ward Preacher Podcast, the teachings of the Prophet Joseph Smith, the doctrines of polygamy, and eternal families. I'm Brett Jensen, and this is the Ward Preacher Podcast. This week's Come Follow Me curriculum will bring us to sections 129 through 132. There's a ton of stuff here. There's just no way to cover all of this in a single podcast. Uh, You will need to study this independently. Um, That having said, we are going to talk about a couple of the teachings of the Prophet Joseph Smith as recorded in section 130. So let's dig right in and start some reading. When the Savior shall appear, we shall see him as he is. We shall see that he is a man like ourselves, and that same sociality which exists among us here will exist among us there, only it will be coupled with eternal glory, which glory we do not now enjoy. So those are the first couple verses in that section. Now, Many well-intentioned individuals throughout history, this isn't just like a modern thing or a Protestant view, uh, many well-intentioned individuals throughout all of history have portrayed God as unknowable. Whether it's small enough to dwell in a man's heart, big enough to fill the immensity of space, you know, some sort of paradox like that, or one in three, three in one simultaneously talks about himself and to himself, one of these paradoxical things, or the mystic nature of God that was imposed on him by the Jews around Horeb, who didn't want to talk to him directly, but sent Moses up to deal with, you know, whatever was going on up there. Um, there's a context in which this idea has value. Um, It's not necessarily that God is a paradox or that he's actually unknowable, but we should understand that his ways are actually much, much higher than our ways, and his thoughts are not like our thoughts. We should be humble as we approach the throne of the Most High. That having been said, God is not unknowable. In fact, it is his desire that we do know him. Jesus himself reflected that idea in the great intercessory prayer, John 17, 3. This is life eternal, that they may know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. He's meant to be known. Joseph Smith, who had personal experience with Jesus, taught that he was knowable. He's a man like ourselves, meaning not that he's corrupt or base, but that in form he is like us, and that he values his relationships with us, and that he is hurt by our betrayals and rejections. This should be relatable. And it should help us to better appreciate the magnitude of what Jesus did for us. 
All right, some additional reading. Whatever principle of intelligence we attain unto in this life, it will rise with us in the resurrection. And if a person gains more knowledge and intelligence in this life through his diligence and obedience than another, he will have so much the advantage in the world to come. Now, this is critical. We're, we are not intended to remain as we are. We are meant to improve in any way we can. Now, for some things like faith and penitence and our ability to, to be obedient and understand spiritual things, that makes sense. I think that is intuitive. But um, Joseph Smith talks about this with, with any principle of intelligence. Uh, that anything that we gain in terms of knowledge will give us an advantage. And that can be a little counterintuitive with some subjects. For example, can we really gain a great advantage learning concepts of calculus, in which we make clever use of arbitrary uh, or arbitrarily precise approximations to better understand infinite ideas? I mean, particularly since after this life, we are likely to be better equipped to comprehend infinite ideas. Uh, is there actually value in, in learning kind of the flawed thinking of man? Well, another perspective to help us understand this is that the Lord appreciates when we do hard things. Our efforts to become better and whether it's more knowledgeable, more skilled uh, for something that may not be an occupation in the next life, uh, better able to provide, these are all things that help us. And understanding the concept of doing hard things to become better, well, that carries over into the next life. This was true of, for example, pioneer journeys that predated the transcontinental railroad across the country. They put in a ton of effort doing something that would soon be a lot easier. Uh, the same is also true for constructing temples, magnifying other callings, and performing other service and activities. Your willingness to do something difficult, to be in a better position, is absolutely applicable to what you will be doing in the next life. When you think about the Lord himself, our Heavenly Father, he deals with heartbreaking situations all the time. People who abuse or neglect children, people who exploit and abuse one another, who betray one another, and who betray him. And he can't just call in sick. He can't take a mental health day. He can't buckle under the pressure. I think this is key, that we learn to be not weary in well-doing. Okay, another couple of verses. There is a law irrevocably decreed in heaven before the foundations of this world upon which all blessings are predicated. And when we obtain any blessing from God, it is by obedience to that law upon which it is predicated. Now, of course, grace is vital. The efforts we put forward are not better than the widow's mites 
in accomplishing what they are trying to do. I mean, she she wasn't giving a, a large financial amount when she was contributing what she had. But Jesus taught us to obey anyway. The requirement to have faith is more than just believing something. It's believing something enough to do something appropriate to that amount of faith. A person who says, oh, I believe in Jesus so much that I'm going to ignore whatever he says. That's not actual faith. You know, you can't say, oh, yeah, and it's okay because grace, he'll take care of me after, so long as I say I believe in him. It's a very different thing to say, I believe in Jesus so much, I'm going to do whatever he says. I'm going to do exactly what he says about this. Whether that subject is tithing, the word of wisdom, the law of chastity, keeping the Sabbath day holy, or anything else. Obedience truly is the first law of heaven because it is inseparably bound to the first principle of the gospel. Faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessings absolutely come by faith, which cannot be expressed without obedience. All right, let's talk about polygamy. Plural marriage can be a sensitive subject in our faith for several reasons. Culturally, it's not acceptable. And that's true even though other types of relationships that are traditionally unacceptable have now been embraced by the culture. Um, other reasons include that it appears to be unequally applied. Uh, in, when we look at cases of, of plural marriage, it's men that appear to be able to have more than one wife, but women do not seem to have more than one husband. And also, uh, it has been associated with negative things. It's been associated with the lust of men. Um, the Book of Mormon condemns the concepts of seeking many wives or concubines, and certainly Jacob, uh, who discusses the subject, ties it to the idea that it's being used by the Nephites there to justify their lust. Plural marriage, however, is actually something that is accepted by all of Christianity, all of Islam, all of Judaism. All of these major faiths accept the biblical practice of plural marriage in the cases of Abraham, Jacob, David. The majority of every sect of these faiths, including the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, also accepts that Currently, plural marriage should not be practiced. We do not perform or engage in, in polygamy uh, today in the church. So really the only meaningful difference, it used to be acceptable, it currently is not acceptable. The only meaningful difference is when is it acceptable? When, when has it become acceptable? When did that change? Um, and that has more to do with the doctrine surrounding recognizing prophets of God more than doctrine surrounding chastity of whether or not the practice is acceptable. Of course it can be. Um, the historical practice of polygamy was absolutely acceptable to God. 
And there are a few verses here in section 132 that I would like to read on this subject. Starting in verse 34. God commanded Abraham, and Sarah gave Hagar to Abraham to wife. And why did she do it? Because this was the law. And from Hagar sprang many people. This, therefore, was fulfilling, among other things, the promises. Was Abraham, therefore, under condemnation? Verily I say unto you, Nay, for I the Lord commanded it. Abraham was commanded to offer his son Isaac. Nevertheless, it was written, Thou shalt not kill. Abraham, however, did not refuse, and it was accounted unto him for righteousness. Abraham received concubines, and they bore him children, and it was accounted unto him for righteousness, because they were given unto him, and he abode in my law, as Isaac also and Jacob did none other things than that which they were commanded, because they did none other things than that which they commanded, they have entered into their exaltation, according to the promises, and sit upon thrones, and are not angels, but are gods. David also received many wives and concubines, and also Solomon and Moses, my servants, and also many others of my servants, from the beginning of creation until this time. And in nothing did they sin, save it in those things which they received not of me. David's wives and concubines were given unto him of me by the hand of Nathan, my servant, and others of the prophets who had the keys of this power. And in none of these things did he sin against me, save in the case of Uriah and his wife. So there we have some verses that confirm um, the same thing that anyone who believes in the Bible accepts as truth. The Doctrine and Covenants aren't making any new claims. They're saying that God approved of these plural marriages. At no time have plural marriages included one wife with many husbands. If this were to be applied, it, it's possible to have some weird like amalgam of who's married to who, this big group of many men married to many women, all sort of married to each other. And that fact, historically, um, the fact that historically this is not done emphasizes an important truth that God did not authorize uh, this to be applied in the same way between men and women. It highlights the truth that men and women are different. Women achieve more happiness through fulfilling roles that allow them to serve and nurture their husbands and their children. Men achieve more happiness by fulfilling roles that serve and allow women to fulfill their roles by defending them and providing for them. Plural marriage is a lot easier to understand if you can understand that happiness can come from men and women fulfilling the divine roles appointed to them. And you can understand the historical context of God at times and situations of his choosing commanded that a man should have more than one wife. Now, what about just the, the personal situation? Is it wrong for a wife not to wish to share her husband? Well, 
Even in polygamous covenants, it's possible for a man to give in to lustful temptations and break their covenants, as was highlighted in the case of David and Bathsheba, the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Now, of course, there is an expectation of exclusivity that comes with the marriage covenant, a divinely appointed expectation. Husbands and wives are to love one another and honor their marital vows with complete fidelity. This expectation is completely correct, and in this sense, a woman should not wish to share her husband. Now, a father may have other assignments that require the toleration of a sort of sharing. Assignments, for example, to serve as a ministering brother may require doing work for other families and not exclusively his own family. Callings may require a husband to attend meetings that leave a wife with less help to get children ready for church. And of course, the same is also possible in reverse. When a wife has an assignment to attend meetings and a husband is required to help his children get ready. Missionaries are another example of a calling that may require an individual to serve away from their family with limited or no contact for quite some time. Their families are being asked to share the missionary with others. The command to take a plural wife is this type of sharing. It's asking a husband to provide for the nurturing of more children with an additional wife and asking an existing wife to support her husband in this assignment. Now, that doesn't make it easy. It's likely going to be very difficult. Emma Smith is an example of someone who did not find it easy to accept. Others struggle with this idea as well. Um, ignoring the cultural stigma, if you pretend that wasn't even a thing, just the issue of having to share a spouse of having them stretched between other obligations outside the home. I would say that it's probably not wrong for a, woman, for a wife to not wish to share her husband, but when the Lord commands us to give up what we want, it's always better for us. And this applies to both men and women. Be open to the idea that the Lord may ask you to accept something that is difficult. In section 132, we have the example of Abraham being asked to give up his son Isaac. Um, you may not be asked to do that. You may be asked to do something different that's difficult. But you can prepare yourself to be righteous and stay close to the Lord and receive his blessings by doing what he asks now. Prepare yourself to have his blessings by following his prophets and apostles today. All right, let's talk a little about eternal families. In section 132, we have a scriptural reference that directly confirms the intended result of a celestial marriage. This is the end of verse 19. 
It shall be done unto them in all things whatsoever my servant hath put upon them in time and through all eternity, and shall be a full force when they are out of the world, and they shall pass by the angels and the gods which are set there to their exaltation and glory in all things, as hath been sealed upon their heads, which glory shall be a fullness and a continuation of the seeds forever and ever. Okay, so everything else we have, all other oaths, contracts, bonds, obligations, they all end at death. A person can't just say, uh, you know, oh, well, our marriage will last forever. Only Jesus, who defeated death, can make something overcome this otherwise insurmountable barrier. Sealed relationships uh, have the potential to endure forever. And it's important to understand that sealed relationships are limited to family relationships. That is, between a husband and wife, and between a parent and child. And this tells us something about other titles and contracts that we may have, even within the church. You can have a great friendship, but you're not sealed to your friends. You might have a strong brotherhood in your priesthood quorum, but you're not sealed to your quorum. You might have a valuable association with a bishop or a state president, but you're not sealed to them. In the end, when all of these other associations conclude, what will be left? Husbands and wives, parents and children. No wonder that God, the Most High, the ultimate being in all existence, wishes to be called Father, because this role has lasting value. This also says something about what we should prioritize in our lives, that God ordained families, that he means for these bonds to protect the most innocent among us, our children and to exalt through selfless service a husband and wife who honor their roles correctly. Prioritize your family relationships. Understand that family is defined by God and not the current culture in the world, and heed the teachings of his prophets and be led to his truth. We appreciate all the support for the Word Preacher podcast. Next week, we will look at sections 133 and 134 and discuss a little about the proper role of government. As I mentioned earlier, there is a ton of stuff in the sections for this week that we did not cover. Absolutely study that individually and with your family. And of course, as always, fight on. Fight on.